Really? We can't have fun play? A little bit? We're in the dark. There we go. Starting to see people. Awesome. Yeah, I remember the first time I rode a roller coaster. Don't remember the exact date. Um, probably around, though, like 1969, somewhere around then. And, and I f- first rode a roller coaster, Mr. Twister, at the old Elitch Gardens. And, and I don't remember the year because I don't remember when I was actually tall enough. You know, you had to be like this tall to ride. And I was a really late bloomer. So it's lucky I wasn't like 15 when I was finally tall enough. But um, first time to ride the roller coaster. Always wanted to ride the roller coaster. Um, my dad and my mom loved roller coasters. And they would always talk about how great it is, right? You've got to ride the roller coaster. It's the greatest ride ever. I mean, the thrills of it all. So I remember the first time because I was riding with my dad, and he very much believed the way I do that the best ride for the first time on the roller coaster is in the front row, right? Because you're up that hill, right? And these are the old wooden roller coasters, which are still the best because they sway. You know, they have to in order to maintain their structural integrity, right? They're built to move. And, and so, and I remember being so excited about about right you get to that top of that hill and the track disappears. I'm going, what am I doing? I mean, it was like eight or nine years old. They said this would be fun, but this can't be fun. I'm about to lose my mind. And then you get up there. But it's too late, right? It's not going to stop. You hit that, and it's just kaboom, and you just start whining, and you're throwing yourself around. And now this was back in the day when your restraint system was pretty minimal. It wasn't like the thing that locks down over you and you can't move, right? And they come and check it. This was a bar that kind of just came in front of you and click, click, and it still moved. And if you're like, you know, four feet tall, you could probably find a way out of it, you know, and then one little seat belt, right? That, that was it. You just put your arms and you're holding in like this. But you're just going around these bends, and then Mr. Twister has that tunnel, right? And you swear you're going to hit the roof of that thing as you go through. And you're just tossing around into all this. And no matter how much terror there was and joy there was, when you get to the end, you go, that was great. Let's do it again. Right? And I remember going through the same kind of process with my son and my daughter, riding Mr. Twister for the first time. And what's interesting, though, is my son, Ryan, who's now 27 years old, and he's married, and, and, and great guy. I, I remember he was about, I don't know, four years old, and we were at this one park. And it had one of these tall, like, metal death slides, right? Really tall one, gets hot in the summer, real slides, right? And, and he wanted to ride this slide. We had told him how fun the slide would be. And so he climbs up there, and it was a really busy day at the park. And he, he starts to see that hill and decides, yeah, I don't think I want to do this. It's like, no, Ryan, come on, go ahead, go down the slide, it'll be fun. He just froze. And there are all these kids behind him on the ladder, right, waiting to turn, go for it, go for it, you chicken, go for it. And now Ryan is a man of great character. And if he doesn't want to do something, he will not do it. So, so he gradually climbs back down the ladder. And, you know, people are trying to get out of the way, so he can get down the ladder. And, and he did not want to go down that ladder, and he didn't go down that, that slide. I remember several years later, and he, he had changed a lot over the years, where we were, we were on a vacation, and we saw the bunch of people jumping off a cliff, about a 25-foot cliff into a river. I was like, he was about 12 by this time. Ryan, you want to jump off the cliff? Yeah, let's go. So we went up there, and we, we talked to everybody, tell us what's in the, the, the water hole, are there any rocks, and they're all saying, no, you just jump there, it's perfectly fine, and we wanted to evaluate the situation, make sure it was safe, and, and this time, 12 years old, I said, I'll go first, then one night I get there, I'll look up and you can follow. So I went running off, jumped off the cliff, into the water, sploosh, no sooner I'd looked around, here he came, boom, boom, big different cry from four years old. 
let's do it again. Because it was an amazing thrill. I think roller coasters are an incredible image of life. Because life has all kinds of stuff that happens. You're going around and there are times you're thinking, okay, this is great. We, we, joy of the Lord is my strength, right? The adventure of following Jesus. Living life to the max. Living life to the full. All these amazing things and that, that happens on a roller coaster and you have to click, 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 and here you go. And in the middle of the roller coaster, you can have every single emotion possible. You have abject fear and terror of the unknown and the speed will this stay on the track, but at the same time you're laughing hysterically and you raise your hand and you go, woohoo, let's do it again. Now what makes the roller coaster image a metaphor of life, though, is that there's nobody at the end when you come through that pulls the big handle back and you stop and you get off. There's nobody doing that. It just keeps going. And then again, Oh no, ah, oh yay! I mean, it's everything. And it just keeps going. And that's this roller coaster that goes on and on. And it has so much stuff of terror and joy and everything in between. And it just doesn't stop. Which brings us to our story today of 12 guys in a boat with Jesus. Let me read the passage for you. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says, That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke up over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Picture this scenario. We've been working through the book of Mark, right? And, and it's been really this picture of Jesus kind of showing up in a, a very covert way. The book of Mark just paints Jesus showing up on the scene, getting baptized, going to the desert to be tempted by Satan and, and coming back and saying repent and believe the good news and started calling people to follow him and, and more and more people clamored uh, to see what he had to say, to see what he was going to do, to experience the miracles that were going on. It was this amazing thing and more and more people came and it was just this huge crowd of people that wanted to somehow get close to Jesus for, for what he could give them, what he could do for them. And, and previous to this scene, right, he had been, he'd been teaching from this boat down on the lake and all these multitudes had come and he was teaching in parables. And if we remember last week, he was talking about what the kingdom of God is like, and he compared it to these very simple, everyday things that didn't make sense to us. The kingdom of God is like a little candle on a stand or a flashlight. The kingdom of God is like a measuring cup. The kingdom of God is like a, a mustard seed. And, and we asked the profound question, huh? About, about what's going on, and, and they didn't understand the kingdom. And he had basically promised them in following him, he was going to show them the way. He was going to ask them to repent, to turn from their own old way of understanding and their old agendas and their old expectations and their old commitments and to follow the new way he was bringing into being. A new way of understanding God, a new way of understanding the, the kingdom of God. He said, follow me in that. Remember, we've seen that. And he said, just like that mustard seed, what happens to the mustard seed under the ground, how you can't see what's going on, but someday it'll blossom and come forth in all its glory, that's what the kingdom of God is like. And so, trust me, the things are happening that you can't see or grasp, but I am at work, and the kingdom of God will play out. 
And now he says, let's go to the other side of the lake. And it's evening. Now in our day and age, if somebody said, let's go to the other side, if we, or we go back to, hey, let's ride the roller coaster, let's go down the slide, let's jump off the cliff, we would say, well, why? What will be there when we get there? What's the other side of the lake we're going to? What are our plans when we get there? What's the agenda? What are we going to do? We have none of that. It's let's go to the other side. And so the fishermen that were part of this group of 12, and, and it says there were some other boats, they left behind the multitudes on the shore, and they started going to the other side. And in the middle of that, it says in here, a furious squall, and evidently the Sea of Galilee, the way it's situated with mountains and things, is known for these very sudden swells. They're just out of nowhere. From what I understand, there are even signs on one of the shores of the Sea of Galilee for cars parked along one of the beaches that their cars could get swamped because these storms can just stir up instantly. And so this was not just, hey, it's kind of tough wind and waves out here. This is like the perfect storm, right? We got waves, we got crashing, we have rain, we have wind that just stirs up the sea. And you would think that the fishermen would be used to that, but they weren't. And, and in the middle of it, in their panic, they go to Jesus, who it says is sleeping in the stern on a cushion, uh, literally is probably like a sandbag used for ballast. He, he was asleep on that. It's like, Jesus, don't you care that we're dying? And he gets up and says to the storm, cool it. And a great storm became a great calm at his word. And in some ways we see the story and say, well, that's the story. Jesus calmed the sea. But no, the point of the story is what happens next, which is he looks at them and says, why are you so afraid? You still not have any faith. And I still always marvel at what just happened, this miracle over nature. They had seen him in so many other things, cast out demons and, and heal people. And, and we'll see later he feeds multitudes and all these things. He taught with authority. He did these amazing things. And they looked at him and they didn't go, woohoo, the storm was calmed. We are on Jesus' team. We're one of the 12. This is the most amazing thing ever. No, they went, who is this guy? Even the winds and the waves obey him. They didn't yet grasp who Jesus was. And we're seeing throughout the book of Mark and in the, in the series we've entitled Great Beginnings, a new way of seeing things, a new way of understanding God, a new way he is present and at loose in his creation. It, it, it's about fresh starts, but the, it's about who is Jesus? And, and who are we, and what does it mean to follow him? That's what the, the story is of the book of Mark. And, and so again, we have this situation where they are completely confused by what has happened. They thought they were going to die, and he's sound asleep. And, and so when I look at the story, there are lots of things that just jump out of the page at me about these things we kind of have to grasp. And one of the first ones is that it says this was the evening, and they went out in the lake, and, and evening time is really when these fishermen would have normally gone out to fish. That's generally when the seas were calmer. And if you've ever been in a, like a, a sea town or a port town, they, they fish during the night usually, right? And then really, really early is when the fish are brought to the market or brought to the, the docks and they're unloaded. And I remember uh, I spent some time in Scotland when I was a teenager, and, and, and uh, we used to go down to the, the fishing yards. And you had to get there really, really early to see the boats come in. And, and that's the way it's always worked for fishermen. And so this is what they were used to. They were used to being out in the evening. That's normal fishing time, and usually when the seas are 
calmer. Another thing we have to grasp is this idea of Jesus being asleep. And this is not just some extra little detail in the story. Oh, and by the way, Jesus was sleeping. No, the sleeping was a sign of trust. It was an Old Testament image of when you trust God, you're able to sleep. It comes up in a bunch of places. I'm going to read just a couple from the Psalms. All right? uh, one says, um, You are Lord, or a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I, I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. This is when David was fleeing from, for his life. In the middle of all this incredibly challenging, stressful persecution, he says, I can sleep and I'll rise again because the Lord sustains me. Then in Psalm 4, it says, Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. There's this image, I said, throughout the Old Testament of sleep, being able to sleep in the midst of challenges that is a sign of trust, a sign of confidence in God. And in a sense, we see this picture, this story going on. You can, you can almost sense in it that Jesus is, is hoping that his disciples will grasp that picture. But they don't. Another picture we have to get a hold of is, is the idea of what is water. And in the, the, the Jewish world, in the, in the Hebrew tradition, water was not just a lake. Water was not just a sea. Water was a picture of chaos. And throughout the Old Testament, again, imagery of the water and calming the water and calming the sea is something that God does. Why? Because the sea represented the unknown. It represented the struggle. It represented the battle. That was where chaos and evil dwelled. And great things happened in the sea. In the book of Job, the sea is where monsters were. This was the view of water. And unless you were a fisherman, you did not go out into the water. The water was where evil lurks and chaos happens. Uh, another way to talk about that from uh, an Old Testament reference from uh, Isaiah chapter 43. It says, Now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That, that, that image plays out over and over and over. And Mark, when he retells this story of what Jesus did in calming the storm, they're in the water, the image of chaos and turmoil and battle and evil raging and Jesus, just like Isaiah talked about what God would do when you pass through the waters, when you are in the struggle, when you are in the challenge, I will deliver you. I am with you through it all. I'm with you. It's an amazing picture. And once again, it's a picture that you have to think that Jesus hoped these disciples and this would get. It's a big storm. I'm sleeping. It's the sleep of faith. It's the sleep of trust. It's the sleep of confidence. 
and it's in the middle of the water, which you see is chaotic, but even then I am with you and I will be with you through the waters. It's an amazing picture. And if we don't grasp that Old Testament imagery going on, we're going to miss the point of the story. The other thing that jumps right out at me in the middle of this is that Jesus was right there with them in the middle of it. They were all stuck in this boat together. In fact, we could say the disciples were doing what Jesus asked them to do. Let's get in the boat and go to the other side. And in the middle of doing what Jesus asked them to do, they think they're going to die. And they were upset with Jesus. What's interesting is we really don't know to what degree they, they fully grasped Jesus. Yet we know they didn't. He was, he was teaching them more and more about who he is. He, he was trying to show them what he rules. He's talking about the kingdom of God, and we define that as the rule and reign of God. The kingdom of God is not a place. It's a belief. It's a person, Jesus. It's the rule and the reign. It's everything that God is about in, in his creation, in eternity, in people rule and the reign. And, and Jesus is pointing out over and over again, I keep telling you about the kingdom of God. And he's really trying to tell them who he is, which is this kingdom of God, I, I'm the king. And you can see in this story, I, if I were one of the disciples, the brain churning, it's like, you know, you just told us these stories and you explained them to us in more detail when we were with you. And we asked you about him. He said, the kingdom of God is like a flashlight. The kingdom of God is like a measuring cup. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Yet that's not doing us any good right now. We're going to die in this storm. You said it's things that kind of sneak in and, and they're happening and you can't tell them. This doesn't seem like sneaking to me. This is a big, huge storm that's going to wash us over. And, and what did they grasp about Jesus? Did they just assume that since he was with them in the boat, nothing bad could happen? I mean, he's, he's healed lots of people. He's, he's done all these amazing things. And so if we go with Jesus, everything's going to be fine. And there, there won't be a storm. I mean, we're sailors. We go through storms. Did they assume that, that, that things would be fine? When they woke him up, it's interesting, they didn't say, do something about the storm. They said, aren't you, aren't you with us in our panic? We're going to die here and you're asleep. Why aren't you panicking with us? God, I've said that. They, they didn't ask him to stop the storm. They accused him of being indifferent. Don't you care? Jesus got up from his sleep of trust and spoke to the storm in a word. And what a great picture. The one who, at creation, as, as part of the, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, spoke creation into being. The one who could speak the waters and speak the land and grow the vegetation and create people and create animals. The one who created all that can also stop that. What an amazing picture. Do you not know who I am? I am the king, and this is the kingdom of God. He's right there with them, but they were upset because he wasn't panicking with them. It would be really easy to look at this story and say, if we just trust God enough, he'll calm the storm. 
And I think too often that's the way it's taught. But we already spoke earlier that really the climax of the story isn't when he calmed the storm, it's the question he asked the disciples. Why are you afraid? You still don't have faith? You still not grasp who I am? That I'm in the boat with you? I'm sitting next to you on the roller coaster? I'm going through this storm with you. In this particular story, yes, Jesus calmed the physical storm. But it doesn't go beyond that story. It doesn't say, and therefore, every storm that will ever happen in your life will be calmed and will be go away and you will be delivered from it. It, it doesn't say that. It doesn't promise that. This is telling one story of one thing that happened. In fact, we look at that Old Testament imagery again of when you pass through the waters, and that's kind of a, a continuing idea. When you pass through the waters, I, I am with you. I, I think Jesus is more saying, well, you still haven't figured out who I am. Why are you so afraid? And this is going to become a theme over the next few weeks of encounters with people. This, this comparison between fear and faith. Why are you still afraid? You still have no faith. You see, I have to think we have to get to the place of absolutely remembering and, and pondering the fact, and we really don't need to be reminded of this, that there's no such thing as a stormless sea. And there's no such thing as a struggle-free life. It doesn't happen. It's life. It's stuff that goes on, and it's always something that catches us out of nowhere. They were just going about their business. Let's go to the other side. Okay, Jesus, we're fishermen. We're used to this. It's evening time. Seas are calm. Let's head on. And out of nowhere, this storm erupted, this squall, this whirlwind. It almost pushed the boat under. And we could probably go through the room and talk about those struggles in life and those things we have gone through or are in the midst of right now that absolutely whacked us out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting that. Life was going fine, just fine. It was coming by and I was feeling pretty good about things. And then this. Now what do I do? And our immediate response is, like the people that Jesus left on the shore, we're there because we want stuff from Jesus. Right? They were following after him. Why? Because they heard what he was doing. He healed this person. He cast out this demon. He did this. He did this. He did this. He can do those things for me. He can heal this. And Jesus is going to the other side. It's like, we'll see you later. Hope you'll come back again because I still have a brother that needs healing. I still need a new job. I still need a relationship fixed. I need you to fix some things, Jesus. And so he sailed off with his disciples. And the storm hit. The storms always hit. They blindside. I never dreamed I'd ever win here. I never dreamed I'd be in this accident. I never dreamed I'd lose that job. I never dreamed that my best friend would stab me in the back. I, I never dreamed these things would happen. I didn't see that coming. And now here it is and what I'm going to do. Jesus, fix that. Change my circumstance. And then I'll believe. Well, we've already seen throughout the book of Mark, and we'll see it more, that there are times when Jesus absolutely, through miraculous ways, changed people's circumstance. You used to have leprosy, now you don't. You, you used to be sick, now you're healthy. 
but they still didn't grasp who he was. But the disciples saw it all, and they're still saying, who is this man? I think this story is teaching us more about what is it like to go through life and to know that Jesus is with us in the midst of that storm. It is still perfectly valid and perfectly reasonable to pray for deliverance. Lord, I don't like this. Jesus demonstrated it, right? He was in the garden before he was going to be crucified and said, Father, if there's any other way, take this from me. If there's any other way to have this happen, can you do that way instead? He he, he prayed that. We can pray that. We can pray, God, deliver me from this. Give me a new job. Heal my illnesses. Help me get something different. Fix my relationship. We should pray for deliverance, but we're not always going to get it. Jesus still had to endure the loss. The question is, what is our faith like? Or maybe the way to phrase it is, how do we sleep at night when things don't change? How do we sleep at night when we're in the middle of the storm? When we're living through the struggle? When we don't know what tomorrow will hold? And we sleep. Because usually when we're in the midst of a big challenge, it's hard to sleep. And people say, hey, how'd you sleep last night? I didn't. We've all had those days, right? I didn't sleep. I tossed and turned all night. Well, what is it we're thinking about when we're tossing and turning in the middle of a storm? We're, we're, we're trying to come up with solutions. I, I can't go to sleep because all this is going through my head and, and there are solutions I have to come up with to fix this storm and there are things that I think God should do to fix it. And, and we lay awake at night figuring out what those things are and we don't sleep and, and that's not the picture Jesus gave. He was with them in the middle of this amazing storm and he was asleep. Not because he was indifferent, but because he had absolute trust in God. Absolute trust, not that necessarily the storm will go away. Not that the life circumstance that has ripped your world apart will be fixed. It might never change. But can we still sleep in confidence? who God is. See, this story is about who Jesus is, not about how he calmed the storm. It's about who he is, not how he delivered somebody. It's about who he is. He is God. He is the King. He is the Lord. He's the one who may not change our circumstance, but if we're in the boat he will definitely change us. We will have the opportunity to become new people. So we don't have to be afraid. This storm is wrecking us. But Jesus is with us. Can we count on that? Can we live in that place of reality? Because that's what Jesus is trying to express to them. Here's the reality. There's a big difference between fear and faith. And we tend to live our lives in fear. What if scenarios? What if things don't get better? What if I'm not healed? What if I never walk again? What if my wife leaves me? What if I'm left alone? What if I lose everything? And Jesus says, you can trust me. You can sleep the sleep of faith. Why? No matter what the what ifs, I am with you. 
Because the glorious point of this story is that we can trust a Savior. We can trust a Lord who does not always deliver us from storms, but who is with us through the storm. And he's not there with us so he can share in our panic. He's there with us to walk with us, to to help us learn, to help us grow, to help us know better who he is, to help us understand God, to help us understand ourselves, to become the people we never could be if we didn't get into that boat. Go with me to the other side. Mm, Yeah, I think I'll stay here. It's pretty safe here on the shore. I'm gonna I'm gonna fish from here. No, that's not fishing. Yeah, the storms aren't as big on the shore, but neither is life. And, and Jesus promises life, and He promises it to the full, and He gets to define what that looks like. And, and here it is, traveling to the other side. There are no safe spaces in life. Not in the middle of the sea, which they defined as evil and chaotic. Nor is it on the shore, as we'll see next week. We landed on the shore and all kinds of things happened. But it wasn't safe there either. God is with them. In the middle of it. Why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith? Can we kind of find comfort in that? That, that Jesus is with us through the storm? When by human nature, our whole desire is get me out of this? I hope so, because I think the reality is, is that we can't be guaranteed of getting out of it. But we can be guaranteed that Jesus is with us in it. And the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in us in ways that would never happen. I would never understand the thrill of the roller coaster and the joy and exuberance and really fun thing it is if I didn't get on it, if all I ever did was send my kids to ride it. Hey, go ride it. It's supposed to be fun. And they get back and say, that was the greatest thing ever. Now what do you want to do? Can, can you come with me and ride it? No, 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 I'm going to stay over here. Because that's scary. And I don't want to deal with that first hill. But if you don't deal with the first hill, you don't get the great other stuff. I don't want to deal with the anticipation that we're going to fall. Well, then you don't get to go on the thrill. I want to stay here on the shore and hope that Jesus someday comes back and will give me some things that I ask for. And Jesus says, get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. Let's see what happens over there. Let's see what happens on the way. Just watch me. Watch how I can work at you in your life when you don't see any hope. And if you arouse me in a panic, I am not going to panic with you, and neither should you because I am here in this boat. And I created this world. I created everything about it, and I can calm the sea, and even more, I can calm you. Can you get in the boat? Can you live life? Can you follow Jesus in that journey?